That. Wow. Thank you, Brother Ben. Thank you, Praise Band. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis, would you please? Genesis. And as was mentioned earlier, uh, we are going to be picking up on our uh, study of Job, our series on Job. Now that'll start back on January the 14th, okay? Next Sunday, very, uh, very personal message for East Point, if you will, about our new year and vision for the new year. Today being the last, the last Sunday of the year, um, I felt like God led me toward this passage to talk with you about today. So if you have your study sheet in front of you, and I appreciate so much all of our greeters and them making sure those are handed out when you come in. Uh, we're going to go through that um, study sheet. You can just fill in the blanks as we go. But as you will see, it's a familiar story. It's the story of Noah. Now I've entitled this simply, A Clean Slate. And I want you to think with me because this is what God did with me as far as my, my study and preparation for this. I, I started thinking about Noah and how that the world, not just a year, can I get an uh-huh? Uh -huh. The world was coming to an end. And there would be a new world. A new day was coming. And when Noah and his family stepped off of that ark, a new life began. Everything was fresh and new. And I began to think about that and I thought, you know, it's interesting and obviously we know as Christians, we know most of us who have been saved, we understand you can change at any moment in your life. You don't have to wait till the end of the year or the first of the year. Am I right? You don't have to do that. Every, every moment of your life, you have the opportunity to go before God and say, God, I need your help and I want to change this thing in my life. So, but, but there is something unique, something interesting about the end of the year or the beginning of the year. And people have a tendency, of course, to make resolutions. I, I like what one particular lady wrote. She said, uh, I do not call them resolutions. I prefer to call them casual promises that I make to myself that I have no obligation to fulfill. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Maybe some of you have come to that place in your life. You say, you know, I don't make resolutions anymore because you, two months in, we don't tend to keep them. But among resolutions, typically the top areas tend to be health, relationships, and finances. And so if you yourself have stopped to make resolutions or set some goals in your life, probably they are in one of three of those, or if not all three of those areas. Still today, we want to focus in on something that the Scripture teaches in the Gospel of Matthew. I know we're, I've asked you to turn to Genesis, but uh, this is sort of in the way of introduction. Jesus said, a verse that most of you are familiar with, Matthew 6, 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. God is a God of priority. He is a God of order. And if we get first things first, then everything else will fall into place. And oftentimes we worry about those three areas that we mentioned, health, relationships, and finances, when in fact we ought to really focus in on God and let him help direct all of those areas in our life. Noah becomes a great example of that, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. And there are four steps that Noah took that we can take that will help us have 
a majorly blessed new year. And that's what I pray for. If the Lord tarries his coming, man, I want to see God's blessings poured out on you guys and on us as a church. I want to see God's favor. I pray for that every day. I know that's probably kind of selfish, but I do. I pray. Uh, I, I figure God said uh, for us to be careful about nothing. And so I, I'm not careful. I don't, I'm not anxious about it, not worried about it. I just say, God, you know, hey, throw it out, you know. Pour out your favor. Amen. And uh, uh, if, you've, if you've not been having the favor of God, I encourage you to ask him for the same thing. Amen? There's nothing wrong with asking him. He can always say, no, not today. And I usually always start that. I'll just bear my, my soul a little to you. I always start that out with this, this statement. God, I know I don't deserve it. So if you ever go to him and say, God, I deserve it. You got a problem now. I'm just saying. Don't, don't do that. So it's a good thing to start out. Hey, I don't deserve it. But man, I sure would love it, God, if you just pour out your favor, your favor on us. So let's go to this familiar text, Genesis chapter 6. I'll not take a lot of time at the first part of this chapter. Uh, this is a... Um, uh, an interesting portion of scripture where the sons of God have come upon men. Who is it talking about? That's a big debate. I happen to believe it's part of the angelic realm, but I'm not going to go there as far as this message is concerned. And uh, this, of course, brought on what we know as the flood. But look at verse 3 with me. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. If you're there, say, I'm there. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now there are many people who believe that Noah <clears throat> was 120 years in building the ark. And that could be. We first meet Noah back in chapter 5, and we find him at 500 years of age in verse 32, having children. And do I believe those are literal years? Yes, I do. You'd have to understand that, that the world was different then. And I do mean the world, not the people or the culture. I mean the world itself. There was a terranium type effect. There was a water vapor that surrounded the earth and provided the perfect climate during that time. Disease had not taken over generation after generation. So do I believe he was literally 500? Yes, I do. He was 600 when he came on board the ark. So there's 100 years there. So if you believe that he started building the ark when this verse says, and he built for 120 years, it means that Shem, Ham, and Japheth were not yet born, and he had already been working on the ark for 20 years. Imagine that. Here he is working on the ark. Children, these children grow up. That's all they have ever known is this project. Now whether it took 120 years, we don't know. Some say this is obviously the amount of time until the flood came. It's the countdown, if you will. The countdown, 120 years. So then the Bible tells us, skip down with me to verse number 8. Very important verse. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now the verses we've skipped over basically say this. The world was a very wicked place. Can I get an uh-huh? And that could apply to today too. Am I not right? The world is a very wicked place. Horrible things were happening. Horrible things are happening. But nonetheless, the world was a very wicked place. And so the Bible tells us Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now we find that this is a beautiful example of salvation. It's a beautiful Old Testament picture of salvation. And it starts with grace. The fact that you and I don't deserve what God did for us. The fact that God gave his only son. There wasn't anything in us worth that. Am I right? Amen. 
Nothing in us worthy of his love, yet he loved us. He loved us so much, he gave his own son to die on the cross for us in our place. And so here we find Noah, who has found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace, of course, is God's unmerited favor, unearned favor. So we find verse 9, if you will. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Now, we use that word today differently than they use that word in this day. It doesn't mean that Noah was without sin. What it means is he was as right with the Lord as you possibly could be right with the Lord. And we also know that about Job. Remember, we, we studied that in our series on Job. And so then the Bible makes this statement. Uh, he was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. And this is the first of the four steps we need to take. You want to write it in. Walk with God. Walk with God. Now this is an interesting thing that Noah was chosen by God then to build this ark. We read of it as we continue this and most of you are familiar with the story. Uh, I know there are some things that somehow get a little uh, skewed in the, um, in the mind. For instance, we have a tendency to believe that there was uh, just a pair of all animals that were brought on board and we're going to study in just a minute that there, they did come on board in pairs but there were not just two of each. And uh, we'll talk about that in just a minute when we get to it. And the ark itself, a tremendous ship indeed. Uh, the, uh, the directions are given. Verse 13, if you look in verse 13, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. And then he goes into the actual dimensions. It translates over, if you use the cubit, it translates over to a ship that's 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. As you read it, you find out that there are three levels on the inside of this massive ship. So God said, this is what you're going to do. And then he said, uh, take the, the animals on. Verse 19, of every living thing of all the flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Again, we'll come back to that thought in just a minute. But what, what do we do with this thing of how he walked with God? Would you say that you have walked with God? Don't answer that out loud. Would you say that you have walked with God in 2017? Would you say that that's a goal of yours in 2018? There's a remarkable verse of scripture found in the book of Micah. Some of you may be familiar with it. Some of you may have it as your life verse. I've heard it often as we ask people from time to time in study groups or even in church-wide testimony time. Someone may bring that verse up. Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8 reads this way. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So I ask you today, are you walking with God? And what exactly does that mean to you? How do you do that? 
I want to give you actually six things. I've only given you five blanks on your uh, study sheet. I'm going to tell you why uh, that, that that is the case. But you're going to have a sixth word. It's because the sixth one came this morning. And uh, I had already printed out your seeds. And so uh, the Holy Spirit kind of shook me and said, you left out one. And then he told me what it was and I'll give it to you. But you want to fill these in if you would uh, as you look at them. They'll come up on the board for you. These are the things it takes to walk with God. Conversion. What do we mean by conversion? We're talking about being born again. One of the reasons why people do not walk with God, even those who say they're Christian, is because they've really never been born again. Where conversion has taken place, change has taken place. Even if you were saved at an early age, maybe your behavior did not change, but your focus changed. If you were saved at a later age, your, your behavior changed. The way you do things, the way you look at things, who is first in your life? It's no longer self, but it's the Lord. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So it starts with denying self. There has to be a conversion. Number two, I call a compatible spirit. Amos chapter 3 reads this way, verse 3, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? You can't walk with God unless you agree with God. Unless you're in agreement with God. And there are some of us, God's already declared to us certain things and we're not necessarily in agreement with Him. I love it when people uh, disagree with the pastor and disagree with me all day long. That's fine. It does not, uh, well, it does bother me a little. But, uh, but the truth is it doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree with me. It does matter if you agree or disagree with God. So be sure you're aiming it at the words of man and not the words of God. That's a mistake. You can't walk together unless there's a compatible spirit. Number three on the list is commitment. If you're going to walk with God, it takes some commitment. Some stick-to-itiveness, if you will. I know that the scriptures talk about it being a race, but it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a, it's a matter of continuing to walk with God. It's a matter of being committed to walk with God. And then we find communication. As you walk together, you talk together. Each time in the scriptures, when the Bible talks about Jesus walking with somebody, what's it talk about? The conversation he's having with them. When we deal with communication on the spiritual realm, it's a dialogue, not a monologue. So don't go to God in the morning and pour your heart out to Him and then hang up on Him. You know what I'm saying? Don't do that. Wait on Him to speak back. One of the, I think one of the, the, the best qualities of prayer that we often miss is this thing of listening to God. Learn to listen in your prayer time. Listen, do your Bible reading because Bible reading is one of the ways God speaks to us. Right. So spend some time in the Word of God. If, if you're going to walk with God, you need to do these things. And then there is that continuance. That is, just stay doing, keep doing what is right even when it is difficult. That takes discipline. Can I get an uh-huh? Some of you, the doctor has told you, I'm included in this crowd. They said, walk regularly, exercise regularly. And what do we say? Well, I, time. It's difficult to find time. It's difficult to do. Something else takes place and suddenly now you're out of the routine. And so it takes some continuance that we need to have in place. Mark chapter 10 verse 52, then Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. That's a story of Bartimaeus. 
What I love about that text is, after Bartimaeus got his sight, Jesus said, go your way. And the Bible says, listen, Jesus' way became his way. Now this morning, uh, I'd already printed your study sheets and, and again the Lord just kind of shook me a little bit and said, you left something out. And I said, well, what did I leave out? And this is what I felt like he said to me. And, and it wasn't audible, so don't think your pastor's gone nuts. But it was, it was very clear in my heart that if you're going to walk with God, you need to be around other people who are walking with God. And so we added community. You need the community of believers. You can't do it on your own, and there's no need to do it on your own. God knew you couldn't do it on your own. You need the encouragement and the exhortation of others within the body of Christ to help us, those who are walking with God. Listen, everybody around us today as we're seated here, there's something we all have in common. We're all just trying to do better at walking with God. Nobody's perfected it yet. We're doing better at it. I had my grandson here for the holidays. Can I get an amen for Luca? Come on. Amen. He's turning one in January, coming up, going to be one. Started walking, he was nine months. He's, he's way ahead. He's very independent-minded, just like his mother, who is just like her dad. And... Uh, I tried to hold his hand. He would sit with me in my study. Every morning I'd get up early, I'm in my study, and I'd hear him cry. He's in the room next door, so I'd go get him, and he'd sit with me. Didn't get a whole lot of studying done, but it was a great time. And, and when I would walk with him, I, he would hold my finger sometimes, and then he'd let go, and he'd take off. Just take off. And as we were doing that over the holidays, I started thinking, do we not do that with God sometimes? He wants so desperately just to hold our hand and walk with us and fellowship with us, but we just take off. Take off. So let me encourage you. Step number one, walk with God. If you're going to do that, I think it's important that we follow the prayer of the psalmist. Psalm 90 in verse 12, he said this, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's, it's at the end of the year that we have a tendency to look back on the year. It's at the beginning of the year that we have a tendency to set our goals for the upcoming year. So I ask you today to consider, number your days... How much time do you have left to walk with God here before you walk with him there? And this brings us to point number two, work for the Lord. Walk with God and then work for God. Work for the Lord. God said, I want you to build an ark. Now, you've heard the story before, how odd this must have been. I mean, he's building this massive vessel on the land. It's not even near the water, man. It, you know, let alone trying to get it to the water. But it's because God was going to bring the water to him. It had never rained before. When you study the Bible, you find out that God watered everything from a mist that came up from the earth. The Garden of Eden was watered from a mist. God had a built-in, in-ground sprinkler system throughout the world. And that's what he did. But... He tells Noah to do something nobody else has been told to do. And Noah does it. He obeys. And for whatever length of time it was, if you want to say it was 120 years, if you think it's 100 years, I don't know. But I know this. I know that for a long period of time, there were two things Noah did. He prepared and he preached. He told everybody about the 
weather and what it was going to do. He said, the rain is coming. It's going to be bad. God is going to judge sin. And there's an escape that is available. Are you listening to me? This is very important. There's an escape that is available. In my, in my own life, I could share with you that this upcoming year, there's one word that I feel like God has really just laid on my heart. And this is not so much in relation to our theme as a church, but it's just one word. And, and, and sometimes God has to really get my attention and simplify things for me. And, and what it boils down to is just one thought, salvation. We need to see people come to Christ. We need to see people get saved. We need to do... Listen, we're running out of days that we can do this. Jesus is on his way. I believe that. He's not going to be long. And we need to get busy about the things that are most important in, in, our, in our life and in our church. We need to do what we can to reach the lost. To meet the lost. To reach the lost. To share with them the gospel. So for a long period of time, Noah preached. And Noah preached. And Noah preached. And much like Jeremiah, not one person responded. His family came into the ark, but no one else did. So we're to work for the Lord, whether it has the results that we want or not. And he prepared. He prepared. He did the things the Lord told him to do. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? By the way, when the flood came, there was only one way of escape. It was the ark. When judgment comes, listen to me, the wages of sin is death. That's talking about eternal death. The lake of fire is eternal death, Revelation tells us. There is only one way of escape. Right. The ark is a, an Old Testament type of Jesus Christ. Amen. No one knew that. I believe he knew that. I think he understood that. In a prophetic way, I believe he understood. And the people needed to know there's a way to escape. And here's the beauty of this thing. Listen to me today. If you're here and you're not saved, you've never been born again. Let me tell you something. It's available. It's available. I mean, it's as simple as getting on board. It's even easier than that because you don't have to climb any stairs or walk any ramps. It's just you open your heart and you ask the Lord to be your Savior. It's not a difficult thing at all. Yet still some will not do it. So for those of us who are saved, let us remember 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. There's a poem by C.T. Studd. Some of you are familiar with the poem. And there's a line of it that simply reads this way. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for the Lord will last. So I'd like for you to consider that work for the Lord, for the Lord. We have a tendency to work for ourselves. We have a tendency to work for ourselves first. And then if there's time left over, we will work for the Lord. Our church is a great church when it comes to serving. But we need to be reminded today in the upcoming year, let us, let us have the most blessed year we can have. And it's going to require that we walk with the Lord and that we work for the Lord. And then number three, we need to wait in the Lord. Wait in the Lord. Now some of you may be here today, you say, well, pastor, did you use the correct term there? Shouldn't it be wait for the Lord? Or maybe it's wait on the Lord? I don't think so. I think the term is correct. Wait in the Lord. Notice Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 1 with me for just a minute. 
Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household. I love that, and some of you have heard it before, but let me take a moment and reiterate it. God said, come, meaning he was in there. Did you catch that? He didn't say go into the ark. He said come into the ark. The ark is a picture of Jesus. So Jesus said, abide in me. Come into me. Come into me. And, and, and here we find uh, that uh, in Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 10, uh, the scriptures say, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, open up to us. And he answered them, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. That is a parable that deals with the being ready whenever the storm does come, whenever judgment does come, when Jesus comes, and whether or not you're ready. Let me just say to you for a moment that Noah builds this ark. His family comes on board. Genesis 7, God said, come. And so they came and they sat in the ark. And it was about a week before the rains ever started. And the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail. But I began to think about this thing a little bit. And I thought, you know, I wonder. It had never rained before. So I wonder what, what must have been going on in Noah's mind and in the mind of his family. Here they are with all of these creatures on board this ark. And it's all shut up. The door is is shut now and the window is closed they don't have any way to see out and all of a sudden now perhaps the first time ever a sound of thunder I wonder if they looked at each other and said what was that it had never rained before and so a few little sprinkles maybe started and, and you could hear it hit on the ark maybe, maybe that was the sound the first time ever they had ever heard water dropping like it was dropping and then the downpour the downpour and then I think there was probably another sound they heard we're not told but I think there had to have been at some point I believe they started hearing some banging on the side of the door of the ark and then there were screams. Let us in. Let us in. These would be the same people who were mocking him as he drove those wooden pegs into those boards and preached that judgment was coming and there is a way to escape. Why don't you get on board with us? And they all ignored the message. They ignored the message. So from outside that ship, knowing there was nothing they could do, they heard the screams of those who were too late. Who were too late. Can that happen today? Yes, it can happen today. So he was to wait. He was to wait in the Lord. There was nothing he could do now except ride it out. Am I right? There was nothing he could do. And, and you say, what are you getting at? I'm saying that's the way salvation is. You trust Jesus Christ and you abide in him. That's what we do. We don't work. We don't earn our own salvation. God provides it for us. I find a certain text here very interesting as we, as we read. We would jump over into uh, chapter number 8 for just a minute. And I'll pick up in verse 6. Would you look there with me for just a moment? Verse 6, chapter 8. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Now there was a window and it was high up. But a window in their day and age was not glass, of course. You couldn't see out. It was rather just a, a hinged opening, if you will. 
And so he opens it up when the rains stopped. The rains fell. We all know the story in the song. Forty days and forty nights the rains came down. But they were not in that vessel for forty days and forty nights. They were in it a week before it started raining. And sometime after, as a matter of fact, some estimate as long as a year and two weeks, possibly even a year and three weeks, until all the waters had gone down. What did they do? They waited. They waited in the Lord. As we keep reading, the Bible says he opened up these windows, this window and verse 7. Then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. Keep in mind that the raven would have begun to eat the flesh, the decaying bodies, all of that that was happening. And, and uh, verse number 8. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And she returned to the ark to him for the waters on the face of the earth, or for the waters um, were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. Notice verse 10. And he waited yet another seven days. He waited yet another seven days. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited. He waited. Yet another seven days. And then the Bible tells us in verse 15, And God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, their families. Now here's, here's something that interests me. I was sitting looking over all this stuff and it's, you know, one of the greatest challenges of a pastor is to teach a passage that everybody knows. Amen? And so I'm looking over all this stuff and I'm asking the Lord, God, what do you want, what do you want our people to know that maybe they don't already know? And this intrigued me. It intrigued me that Noah, God spoke to Noah and he said, build an ark. More than that, he told him what type of wood to use. He told him what the measurements were to be. And he said, do it just like I told you to do it. Right? Then he spoke to him and he said, I want you to get on board now. I'm about to send the storm and I want you to get on board. Then he tells him, I want you to get off. But there's no record while he's on it that he says anything to him. As a matter of fact, he has an inquiry. The inquiry is, what are things like out there? He opens the window and he sends out birds trying to figure out what's going on on the outside. And as I sat in my study, I felt like God said to me, you know something, I'll tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. <laughs> Amen? And there are things that we might be curious about that in reality we don't even need to know. He'll give us what we need to know when we need to know it. It's not time to get out of the ark yet. Noah, just sit there. Just some of the most difficult things in our life is just waiting. One of the most difficult things, am I right? Just wait. What do you do when God is silent? We're actually going to address that issue in our series on Job. little infomercial. Uh, um, because Job goes through a period in his life where God is silent. What do you do with the silence of God? In this case, Noah did what he could trying to find the information 
that he was looking for to figure out what was happening. But when the time came, uh, God said, go out now. Verse 15, go out. And um, let's do this. Let, let me give you the fourth step, which takes place in verse 20 of chapter 8. Would you look at chapter 8, verse 20? Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Number four, if you want a blessed new year, worship the Lord. Amen. Worship the Lord. What does worship mean? Worship means to adore. Worship and to exalt means to make much. What are we saying? Make much of Jesus. Amen. Hey, you want a blessed year? Make much of Jesus. Just, just exalt him in everything you do and say, in the life that you live, in the facial expressions, in your attitude toward life. Just exalt him. Worship him. The very first thing Noah does when he gets off of that boat, he builds an altar and he gives a sacrifice, an offering to God. And the Bible says he did so of the clean animals. Now let me address this issue with you for just a moment. If you go back to chapter 7 with me, chapter 7, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 again. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous, that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and a female. Now let me stop you there for just a minute. If you believe that um, Noah only took on two of each, what do you do with the number seven? It's not divisible by two. So what do you do with that number? What you begin to understand is there were seven pairs of male and female. So you've got 14 of that animal, the clean. And that would mean that you have two pairs of the unclean. Now I know that doesn't exactly fit the song, does it? 14 and 4 instead of 2 by 2. They came on male and female. God is going to replenish the earth with these creatures, with these animals. Now here's an interesting thought. God did something remarkable in that God led these animals to Noah. He didn't have to go out and find them. God led them to him. Now you can still see what I happen to believe is an instinct that God gave the animals during this time. It still exists today. You can Google, not while I'm preaching, <laughs> but you can Google tsunamis and storms and you can find that the activity of the animals before the storm comes is very interesting. They will go to higher ground. They will run to a place to escape the storm. And this was something I believe God gave that still exists today an instinct to these animals. But this is also interesting that at this point in time, this is long before the, the Mosaic law. In the book of Leviticus, I believe it's the 11th chapter, you will find a, a list of the clean animals and the unclean animals. Now, I'm not going to go into that list with you. You can read it for yourself. But I just want to say, it's interesting because uh, Noah, apparently God communicated to Noah what that list was because he didn't have the law yet. That hasn't been something that's taken place yet. So how does he know? God knows he has a plan. And the plan involves enough 
of the clean animals that they could reproduce at a rate that would allow them not only food to eat, which God said, these you can eat of, these you should not eat of, but also animals to sacrifice to him. Why? Listen carefully. Because worship is so very important to God. Do you know worship was instituted by God? We have a thing that happens in our society today. I'm afraid that we have missed the boat on this. And that is this. We think worship is about us. You don't need to amen that. I know this is all the other churches I'm talking about, not East Point. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you worship isn't about us. It's about Him. And what we ought to be asking when a worship service is over is not, boy, I really enjoyed that or I didn't enjoy that or how did I feel about that. What we ought to be asking is, God, what did you think? Were you lifted up? Were you exalted? God, what do you think? Because out of all of us, the only one that really matters when it comes to an opinion of worship, it is him. It is him. It's not us. And so here we find God has a plan. And the plan is you're going to use these clean animals, you're going to eat of them and you're going to offer them to each. The Bible continues to read of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. Of course, birds are used in so many ways, and some of you could teach this much better than I could, but they're used to carry seed. This was important that there be a large number of them available so that the species would stay alive and that the earth would replenish. God had a, a restoration in mind and he set all of that up when he told Noah what it was he needed to do. So where are we? Is God pleased? True worship moves God. If you keep reading in chapter 8, this is what you're going to find. God was so moved by the worship that Noah had at that altar. Listen, this is important. This is what he said. I am no longer going to destroy the earth by water again like this. And I'm going to give you a sign of the covenant that I'm making with you right now. There'll be a bow in the sky. Do you understand when you see a rainbow? It is God saying, and catch this please, it is God saying, I was moved to be gracious by a worshiping moment by Noah. Is he moved to be gracious by our worship? True worship stirs the heart of God. It moves God. And it moves Him in gracious and generous ways. I wonder today if you have these things lined up in your life of all the resolutions you have, of all the plans you have, and even if you say you have no resolution, that is your resolution. Am I right? So what kind of goals do you have in mind? Does it involve health, relationships, finances? Where is God in all of those things? If you want a blessed year, I'm telling you, walk 
with the Lord. Amen. Work for the Lord. Wait in the Lord and prioritize your worship of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today, God, and we thank you so much. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, God, for your graciousness. Lord, as Noah found grace in your eyes, so we who know you as our Savior, we have found grace in your eyes. And Lord, it is nothing that we deserve. We know that. I'm aware of that, God. So we just come to you thanking you, praising you. What a wonderful God you are. We come to you, Lord, asking you to help us. Lord, we need help walking with you. Sometimes we get ahead. God, we need help working for you because sometimes, Lord, we just focus on us. Lord, there are times we don't want to wait. There are times we become impatient. We don't understand that we're just to abide in you. And by abiding in you, we will bring forth fruit. And by bearing much fruit, that is how you're glorified. Lord, may our worship be pleasing to you. May it be a priority in our life. May it mean more to us than anything else in this world. And so we come to you, Lord, with a two-word prayer. Help us. In Jesus' name. While heads are bowed and eyes.